the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir, and a pleasant good afternoon to you. It is Wednesday. We are here the final day of the month of January in 2018. And trust you're having a great day so far and a great week so far because we've got a great program planned for you tonight. We are pleased to have with us in studio no guest or no stranger, I should say, to the KFAX microphones. He pastors one of the largest and fastest-growing churches in the San Francisco Bay Area. Sometimes hard to believe, group of 13 people in a living room and what God has brought and given the increase to. And, of course, the beautiful thing about my guest today is he's got a real heartbeat for being obedient to God's Word and understands, I think most notably, that the book of Acts is not just a history book. It's not just a book that tells stories about the early church or the first century church, but the book of Acts is really a guidebook, a manual, a book of action, if you will. And Bishop Bob Jackson from Axville Gospel Church, welcome. Good to see you again. Thank you, sir. You're looking you, younger every day. I want to know what you do. <laughs> uh, they tell me, old folks used to tell me, hard work never killed anybody. Is so that it? <laughs> I'll be living a long time. <laughs> well, great to have you with us today you, in sir. studio, yeah. Bishop Jackson. And, and there's a lot to talk about. You have been in the news quite a bit lately. And many of the stories that folks perhaps have been reading um, kind of show that you're, you're, you're getting into the real estate business. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, well, wait a minute now. No preacher wants to be in the real estate business, but a preacher does want to be in the people business. So help us connect the dots here. Recently, if folks hadn't read the stories or seen you on television, there was a huge ribbon-cutting ceremony in the city of Oakland that opened up a brand-spanking-new building providing 59 units of affordable housing at a time where it is so desperately needed, where even people that 10 years ago with their income levels, people would have said, those are almost qualified as rich folk that today suddenly can't even on an income of 80 or 90 or $100,000 a year afford decent housing for their family. Tell us what's going on. Well, it's, it's a gentrification, we call it, because uh, if you don't have any money in Oakland now, you, you just can't live there. You can't afford to live there. Uh, again, the San Francisco people started moving over to Oakland. They discovered that Oakland was five minutes from San Francisco and a whole lot cheaper to live in. And a lot nicer weather. <laughs> and nice, beautiful weather. And so it drove the prices up of the houses, and they kept going higher and higher and higher. And now all of those are houses that you could have bought every day for reasonable amounts of money now is just really off the charts as far as uh, the prices of those houses. And it's literally pricing the people of Oakland out of Oakland. So Silicon Valley, San Francisco, and a whole bunch of other people are moving into Oakland that have the money to be able to afford the housing. So in order for people, regular people, common people, people that have been in Oakland all of their lives, grew up in Oakland, educated in Oakland, they don't have any place to stay. So as we prayed about it, the Lord blessed us to spend money for dilapidated, raggedy, run-down, graffiti-written, boarded-up properties on International from 94th to 96th, and we begin to purchase those properties. When they found out we were purchasing it from the church, they, they, of course, increased the prices of that dilapidated stuff, and we paid it, knowing that the vision was more important at that particular time. And so we built 59 units at 94th and International, one, two, and three-bedroom units, and the families are in those units now. They're so happy, and it's affordable. And so... The city, I'm not supposed to tell this, but the city was so excited about it, they gave us the block across the street if we would do the same thing again. So we have about five blocks now, uh, about five blocks right now that we're looking at uh, doing affordable housing. Now, no one wants to do affordable housing because the developers say there's no money in it, affordable housing. But the people need housing to live in. And so if we're going to have people that uh, are, are 
regular income, shall we say, people with incomes that are not, you know, a, a million dollars or, or, or all of that kind of money a year, we're going to have to build more affordable housing, which no one wants to build because market rate housing make more money for the developers and the contractors. So affordable housing has to be done by nonprofits and the churches. We, we fit the mold. There's a lot of money there to build affordable uh, housing, if you can find the developers and the contractors that are willing to take that loss and build what the people really need. And I think that's a godly thing to do. There really is almost two agendas here. One, as you've alluded to, the level of cost related to housing has gotten so far out of control. Figure this, just to put this in perspective for our listeners. Average teacher salary in the, salary in the city of Richmond is about $48,000 a year. Mm, and if you work on the basis of what has been the, the long-accepted sort of rule of thumb when it comes to percentile of income to housing, uh, most will tell you about 30% before taxes. So just using that $48,000 a year example of before taxes, a teacher earning $48,000 a year would have at about 30% of before tax income have disposable to them about $14,400 per year for housing. The rest, of course, goes to food and medicine and clothing and paying for gas in the car and children's education and all of that. Well, at that average of $1,200 a month, sounds reasonable. The problem, of course, is that their very same teacher who's making $48,000 a year, who wishes to reside in the community where he or she works, will have to pay somewhere between $2,800 and $3,200 a month, or on average, three times of what their entire allocated 30 percentile would permit. So now that means you earn 48000 and you're spending upwards of 40000 and that leaves, what are we talking about, $800? $800, 800 uh, yeah, left for you to live on? It's, it's, it's a possibility. It, it certainly is. So the homeless uh, now community is growing leaps and bounds because of that very issue. A lot of people are living in their cars now in the city of Oakland because they just can't afford the housing there in the city of Oakland. And the practical side that I think we sometimes forget about is you mentioned gentrification, and oftentimes they speak about it in glowing terms, that it's improving rundown neighborhoods and changing the makeup of that neighborhood to improve the quality of life, et cetera, et cetera, all the flowery terms. And yet we fail to recognize, wait a minute now. So the kid that gives me my designer muffin and cup of coffee at Starbucks every morning. We know that practically he's not going to make $160,000 a year. Where is he supposed to live? And the woman that hands me my dry cleaning when I pick up my dry cleaning every Tuesday not going to make $160,000 a year. Where is she supposed to live? And the guy that comes along and delivers my mail, well, on and on the list goes and suddenly you begin to realize that we're creating an atmosphere where the normal way in which a community functions with multiple skills and multiple layers, all working together, serving each other, and creating a cohesive community suddenly begins to completely disintegrate. And so now what? The guy that cuts my lawn has to commute in from Tracy or from Fairfield because while he may work here, he can't afford to live here? That's crazy. That's insane. Well, but that's, that's a reality that we're looking at right now in the city of Oakland because that's how it is. I mean, properties, they, they have, my wife's a broker, so they have uh, houses that are substandard. I mean, you can't even live them in them. They don't have any water, any lights, nothing on it. It's just run-down, boarded-up houses. Selling for five, $600,000 cash. And you can't even live in it. So you've got to come in and put three or $400,000 in it to make it habitable. And that's what they're selling for now. So people have found out that it's a gold mine to have houses. Now, the funny thing about it is, Greg, uh, 20 years ago in the city of Oakland, you could have bought those houses all day for $45,000 a $50,000 piece. And now it, it, they're just – and what, what's interesting is – there's no rule of thumb to say you cannot, you know, sell houses but for so much. You can sell houses for as much as you can get. I had a conversation with our ex-mayor, and, uh, and he told me, I asked him, I said, do you believe, do you believe in affordable housing? He said, yes, housing that people can afford. 
So that's the attitude. You know what I'm saying? So God tells us to deal with the poor and deal with the widows and the orphans. So we have a responsibility to deal with the poor and the homeless and all of that. And, of course, the hungry and those, and those that are destitute in prison, whatnot, 25th chapter of Matthew. So we have an obligation to do all we can. What I'm hoping now, Greg, and I'm dealing with uh, a body of ministers now in the city of Oakland, pastors, we're trying to look at building affordable housing on the church parking lot because a lot of the churches have property in the city of Oakland, and but they don't have the membership because of the gentrification. And so we can build housing on the parking lots. And a number of us are taking a look at that right now on how we can build more affordable housing on parking lots uh, of the church, you know, because we don't need the, the, the space. We don't need the acreage anymore like we used to because we don't have the members like we used to. But to stay in business, we're going to have to convert over to dealing with affordable housing, making them available preferably to our members first so we can keep them into the, in the city. And then secondly, you know, being able to uh, provide housing for those with low income. You begin to touch on an important point that we're going to pause here and come back, and I want you to really dive into this nice and deep, Bishop Jackson, after our time out. I, I began our conversation today by saying, well, what minister wants to be in the real estate business? And, of course, we know the answer to that question is, well, at face value, no minister wants to be in the real estate business. But there's actually a bigger, broader picture here that has far more to do with eternity than real estate. And we're going to have Bishop Bob Jackson, senior pastor of Axeville Gospel Church, explain to us exactly what that means and the challenge before the church today. And let me pause right here and say, just as we cue things up to go to traffic, this sounds like an inner city problem. This sounds like a problem for folks in Oakland or maybe parts of San Francisco. It sounds like maybe a job for churches in places like Oakland or parts of San Francisco. But the broader picture here, particularly from a biblical viewpoint, is a challenge that is laid before the church at large everywhere. That means not just the small inner city church but the big, rich, white, suburban church. That means not just the Hispanic church, not just the Baptist church, not just the Pentecostal church, but the church in general. Because ultimately, what we're being called to consider and take a fresh new look at is exactly what are the lessons that are being not only taught, but modeled in the book of Acts and has the church sadly drifted off into private agendas and kingdom building small k, not big k, to promote our own personal agendas and not really doing anything to promote God's big agenda? We'll talk about that coming up next after a quick timeout, a look at traffic. We do so with Michael Bennett, who's got the latest here at 518 from the KFAX Traffic Center. Hey, Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. We are privileged to have with us tonight in studio the founding pastor of Axeful Gospel Church of Oakland, Bishop Bob Jackson. We are talking about the bigger picture. Now, while at the, the, the onset of our conversation, we have discussed what you've seen perhaps in the news of late, and that is the um, brand new opening of a 59-unit affordable housing complex, beautiful one-, two-, and three-bedroom apartments located in Oakland and being able to take a little bit of the burden. Of course, there's a huge way to go. I mean, if we began to talk about how many people are living hand-to-mouth, barely surviving, hardly able to get by, making huge sacrifices in order just to be able to keep a roof over their families' heads, I think we'd be pretty shocked at what those numbers look like. But the bigger issue here at play, and this is what I want to get into, is the idea that this is not that Axeful Gospel Church under your leadership said, gee, there's affordable housing issue and we need to get involved in social justice and do something about this. There really is a bigger, broader, and more eternal than earthly agenda here. What exactly is that? Well, we call it the ecclesia, and we call it the church, and because the church, God's intention 
when he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it, had to do more with invading or infiltrating the culture than it did having a, a, a building with a cross on the top. And I, and I think it, the ecclesia has been limited to the building with the cross on the top and the little kingdom with a small K, as you would say, a small K kingdom, you know what I'm saying, is now in operation on the corner down the street, the other one around the corner, the other one over here. But they're not really impacting the, the city or the society. So the ills of the city, the ills of the society is being left to politicians who really don't care that much about the people. It, Better strike that last part. I don't know if that's... But anyway, uh, the point I'm trying to make is we, the church, we have an obligation by the Lord Jesus Christ to care for the poor, the needy, and and uh, and those, the homeless, the widows, the orphans. We have a mandate to do that. And let me jump in. Yeah. Because you, you, you stopped yourself. You corrected yourself in saying that, well, the politicians don't care about the people. I think they do care about the people. But here's the notable difference. They don't care about people the way we're called to care about people. I think they that's can provide a education. Yeah, that's a they can way. provide housing. Yeah. Yes. They can provide food. There's a lot of social services that they can meet. Right. But only the church, yes. only the body of Christ is called to engage in the number one mandate. And that is to go into all the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to win them for the Lord. See, then at the end of the day, it becomes uniquely the church's responsibility to do what no government agency or organization or politicians should or can ever do. And that is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and win souls for the glory of heaven. So how you go about how do you go about that? So that becomes the issue. And so we at Axeful Gospel, big shout out to Axeful Gospel people members that are listening tonight. Love you all. But let me tell you something. We were telling people about the Lord. We were out there, you know, knocking on doors and, and witnessing the only way we knew how until I ran across Dr. Ed Silvosa with their prayer evangelism. I found out that the Lord had ro- rolled out a strategy to win the city and it's in the 10th chapter of the book of Luke, and it starts around the 5th verse, where the Lord Jesus says, when you go into the city, bless the people. In other words, say, peace peace be unto you. In other words, pronounce a blessing on the people. Well, we weren't pronouncing blessings on the people. For the most part, we were pronouncing curses on the people. Look at these people standing out here on the corner. Look at these guys selling drugs. This is terrible. They're running my neighborhood down. Look at these women out here selling their bodies. They're bad influence for my daughters. Look at these marriages. That's all the fighting and fussing. Police officers coming to their houses every day. Just And then look at the people that's not taking care of their properties. Running our community down. The value of our properties going down. These people are terrible. Lord, you need to do something about these people. And then the Lord says... I'm so glad, Bob, that you didn't tell them you were related to me (laughs) because I love those people and you don't. Oh, my God, Lord. He said, I didn't send you to curse the people. And he didn't say cuss the people with expletives. He said curse the people, which means every time you talk negatively about the people, even though you're talking truthfully, you're describing the condition. The Lord said, I need you to call the things that be not as Just though they are. were. So you begin to bless the people. What does it mean to bless the people? It means to say good things about them. Speak well of them. Oh, my God. So we found out at Acts Full Gospel that we are to bless the people. So we start off by blessing the people, and that's what we've been doing. We had a turkey giveaway, 1,300 turkeys we gave to the community. Had about 2,000 of the community, District 6 in Oakland, come to our church parking lot, and we had a wonderful time. Prayed for them. About 100 and some souls come to Christ uh, during that event. But we blessed them first, and then... What we ended up doing, the second thing did, we prayed for their needs. We prayed for their needs, that God would meet their needs. So we blessed them first. We prayed for their needs, that God would bless their needs. And then what did we do? We, we, I mean, I mean, the second thing, we fellowshiped with them. I meant we, we had food out there and fun. We had the band playing. We had the choir singing. We, we fellowshiped with them. So we blessed them. We fellowshiped with them. And then thirdly, we prayed for their needs. We had different booths set up to pray for the different conditions that they may be having, like finances, jobs, etc., family problems. And then fourthly, we introduced them to the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and they got saved. I'm telling you, it works beautifully. So now our whole paradigm has shifted at Acts Full Gospel. We bless the people, and then we 
we talk to them, we fellowship with the people. And that was a missing ingredient. Some of the churches act as though sinners or people in the world have the plague or have some kind of disease. They do have a disease called sin, but we have the antidote. We have the, the, the remedy for sin, which is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same disease, I might add, that all of us have suffered from. And all of us have suffered from. And Paul said, such were some of you. Amen. And so the fellowship with them, let them know, listen, we, we are no different than you are. And fellowshipping with them is very important. And then the third part, praying for their needs. Listen, God will bless them, and he will supply their needs a lot quicker than folks been sitting up in the church for 10, 15 years, don't have faith to believe God. These new people, God will do that to catapult their faith into a place where they can definitely receive the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then finally, when you introduce them to the Lord Jesus after those three things, I'm telling you, they're ready to get saved. Well, I think the the big distinction that you're talking about here, Bishop Jackson, is not just proclaiming the love of Christ, but demonstrating. Ah, and that's for so many of these people, they have been raised in broken homes. Yes. They have been buffeted by financial problems, by yes. health issues. Yes. They're facing cancer in the family. They've got a son that's a drug addict, a father that's an alcoholic, all of these life issues. Yes. And we come up and we say, don't worry, Jesus loves you. Right. And they say, well, I don't feel that. Right. I don't see that. Because we have spoken it, but we haven't demonstrated it. And yet, ironically... When Christ says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me to eat. Or any time that you see major accounts of his ministry where he would preach, but he fed the 5,000. Come on. Or he would preach, but he also healed the lame. Or he gave sight to the blind. There was always that connectivity with not just proclaiming what he came to do, who his father was and the mission that he was sent on, but then demonstrating in a practical means the love of the father. So what you're really talking about here is, and, and this is, I guess, the dividing line, because so often we in the church are either great at evangelism or we're great at social justice, and we've somehow convinced ourselves, well, you know, there are certain groups. Now, the Methodists, they're good at social justice, but uh, we at the Assemblies of God, we're really good at evangelism. I'm not picking on denominations here. I'm just, what I'm suggesting is that we tend to compartmentalize the Christian experience and the way we relate the Christian experience to others by thinking that it's your job to do this and my job to do that. So suddenly it becomes either evangelism or social justice, when what you're talking about here and what we see demonstrated in Scripture is not an either-or, but it's a both-and. That certainly is, and that's certainly true. So when he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, that wasn't just for the apostles. That was for all of the body of Christ. I mean, all of us are preachers in our own right to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's plenty of work to do. There's plenty of harvest. But so many times we think going to church and doing that little ritual that we do on Sunday morning is is all we need to do for God. And we and that's about it. But but there is a whole world that's dying and going to hell and the church is stuck in those four walls and we're not going out into the highways and hedges and compelling people to come that the house may be filled. So we have an obligation again. It's hard for me to look at a sinner and my heart don't break for him. And I tell you why. People ask me all the time, how do you stick a soul with uh, evangelism and wanting to see people one to Christ? I said, because I put my face on their face. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, that could be me standing there. That could be me standing on the corner selling dope. That could be me in the jailhouse. That could be me that's, that's destitute, sleeping in my car, sleeping on the ground. It could be me. And if you look at it from that perspective, that God had mercy on us, his grace toward us, my God allowed us to be where we are today. But we are to not take it that, you know what I'm saying, to put the other people down. Our job now is to have the same love and compassion for them as God had for us. That, that perspective of never losing sight, as Scripture tells us, that while we were yet sinners, Come on now. Yes, Christ sir. died for That's us. And, and we tend to, as we should, cherish our conversion experience. Yes. We remember the date, remember the time of when we came to Christ and all the wonderful things that God has wrought in our lives. Since then, 
But we forget the fact as we tend to sort of look down our nose and point our fingers at those people down there that need to repent and those people down there living in sin, that such were some of us. In fact, such were all of us. Did and you that forget? we were in the exact same condition. Did you forget where you came from? Did you forget? A lot of times I, I'm, I'm preaching. I say, look, just stop for a moment. Look over your shoulder and see where you came from. Look and see where God has brought you from. And then lift your hands and give him the praise and give him the glory. Now go and help somebody else. There, there's, there's, I, I, recently I taught on a revelation that God gave me concerning blessings. And I asked this question to the to the to Axville Gospel, uh, to the church. I said, how many of you would like to have a blessing? And almost everyone in the church raised their hand. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants a blessing. I said, okay, let's deal with that as a topic today. You know what? David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be shall continually be in my mouth. We always quote his praise shall continually be in my mouth and think that's what he said. But David said two things. He said, I will bless the Lord at uh, okay at all times and then he said his praise shall continually be in my mouth i would it was a period there instead of a colon or whatever it is semicolon the reason i say that is because to bless and to praise is two different things when you bless somebody you know when we say at a funeral we eulogize mm-hmm. somebody it means you speak well of that person you speak well that's what a eulogy really is it comes from eulogio which means to speak well of you see, from the Greek. So eulogy comes from that. So when you bless, you speak well of. So what David learned was that if I say good things about God, God, you're great. You're wonderful. You're greatly to be praised. God, there's nobody like you. You're an awesome God. You're a mighty God. I just, my God, I just love praising you and giving you the glory. But he's speaking well of God. Then when you bless God, watch the law of reciprocity. What is that? Luke six thirty eight says, if you give, it shall be given back to you. you. Mm-hmm. He said, if you condemn, you shall be condemned. He said, if you forgive, you shall be forgiven. And so there's a law of reciprocity that says, I reap. Is it, is it Galatians 6 and 7 that says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Mm-hmm. Whatsoever a man soweth, whatsoever a man soweth, that but shall he reap. also reap. So if I'm blessing God, if I bless God, if I speak well of God to God, then God will bless me. And now I can truly say, I hear people say, I'm blessed and highly favored. But are you really? Have you blessed God today? Have you blessed him? What do you mean? Have you spoken good things to him? I mean, about him, to him? So now when God blesses you at the law of reciprocity, he begins to bless you. Now you're able to bless other people. So now everybody you meet, instead of cursing them, you bless them. James talks about that in James 3 and 9. He talks about we should bless and not curse. He says, my brothers, he said, we, he said, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. What is it to curse? It's to speak negative about people, not well about them. To bless them is to speak well of them. I'm trying to show you how to get a blessing and keep a blessing in your life when you start blessing other people. Because you're blessed by God, because you bless God, God blesses you, and you start blessing other people, guess what's going to happen to you? Other people are going to start blessing you, God is going to start blessing you, and then you can walk walk around and truly tell people, I'm truly blessed. And what do you do in the meantime? You set everybody up that you bless for the kingdom of God. And when you bless people, I'm telling you, you make them happy, I'm telling you, they feel good, and then you're able to share the Lord Jesus Christ with them. Now let's take it. One notch deeper. And, and Jarrell, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness here because I'm going to blow right past this little timeout because we're on a roll. Let's take it a step deeper here. A lot of what you've just spoken to has to do with our mindset. Yes. Our heart set. Yes. And our mouth. Absolutely. I want to take it to the level of action as well. Yeah, there you go. A lot of people, if you ask the average Christian, well, What's worship about? They will tell you, well, worshiping God is gathering together in the church and uh, the choir director gets up and the organist begins to play. We take out our hymnals or we read at the overhead and we all sing together and we worship God. And that certainly is a form of worship, to be sure. But there's another form of worship that I believe God requires of us, and that is worshiping God through our actions. Absolutely. We do for him not because we have to. We do for him because we want to. We do for him because we understand that we have received such a great salvation 
that if we begin to even capture a glimpse of the totality of what Christ did on the cross on our behalf, we should be so overwhelmed with that sense of gratitude and that desire to be a blessing back unto God that we not only want to verbally bless, but we also want through action to be a blessing and to engage in a labor of worship that now takes us down to the level where we are actively blessing other people as an act of worship by doing things. That takes us back to that idea of the cup of cold water to the thirsty man, the clothing to the naked man, visiting he who is in jail, putting a roof over somebody who has no roof over their head. That now God opens up a whole opportunity for us as Christians not to just show up on Sunday and do church, for an hour or two, but Monday through Sunday to be the church and be actively engaged in what we do as an act of worship in sharing the gospel, in doing good things because it demonstrates to others how much God loves us. Because is it true that throughout Scripture we're not only shown that first and foremost, of course, God cares about our eternal salvation, He cares about relationship with us, but doesn't He also say that He has, uh, as much as He has uh, clothed the lilies of the field, as so He would clothe us, that He's counted every hair on our heads? For some of us, that job for Him gets easier every year. <laughs> But at the end of the day, God cares about the totality of us. Absolutely. And so if we're called then to be his agents on earth, shouldn't we likewise, as an act of worship, be doing these acts of kindness to demonstrate God's love for others? And it's absolutely true. And so, and there's so many people that nowadays are hurting, depressed, I mean, problematic. They have so many problems and situations going on and i mean it's it's everywhere i mean they're building more and more hospitals i you know I, i'm looking at kaiser kaiser's building hospitals everywhere people are sick like never before this new flu strain that's coming out i'm 72 years old i've never heard of the flu killing people the way it's doing now in our time. You know what I'm saying? We're supposed to be so smart, so educated with computers and all of this, and yet the people are dying from flu. And this, this Craig, is really what got me in the news the other day. Even the dogs are catching the flu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I've never heard of that before in my life. So we're living in some dangerous times, but people are really suffering, and the church is supposed to be able to relieve that suffering, whether it be homelessness, whether it be housing shortages, whether it be food shortages, whatever. It's our job. So we're supposed to be lights in this world of darkness. And the world is getting darker and darker, but it seemed like the light at the church is going down to a candlelight. Do some complain that no one's coming to the church and is the fault that instead of us being concerned about people coming to the church, that we should, in a practical sense, be taking the church to them? And that's exactly right. And that's where I was headed. Uh, before you cut in right there, because we are supposed to be everywhere. That's what the ecclesia, when the Lord Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The word he used was the same word that the Greeks had used and the Romans had used to infiltrate societies, to infiltrate cities and nations. They came in with their culture and they imposed their culture on the culture that was already existing. We are supposed to come in with the Christian culture and impose that culture on the culture of our city, the cultures of our job. Just think if people that work in the marketplace would begin to bless the people they work with instead of cursing them. If they would begin to fellowship with the people. Do you know how many people, driving out here from Oakland to, to Fremont, the traffic was bumper to bumper coming out here. But you know what was silly? The, the, the fast lane or the diamond lane was relatively empty. And we were speeding along at, along at 60, 65 miles an hour when the other traffic was bumper to bumper because it was only one person in the car. And I'm saying, listen, stupid, if you would just get somebody else who lives in your neighborhood that's got to go where you go, I'm sure you guys could drive with two in the car. You could be over here in the diamond lane instead of your nerves bad. You know what I'm saying? You're, 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 you're upset. You're frustrated. The fuck you you got a master. You're in it right guy. now. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So if you had just had somebody, but people don't want to have, and I'm talking about Christians, come to church by themselves, leave church by themselves. Let me show you something in the Word. I just want to go on a rabbit trail for just 
just a minute. The 18th chapter of Matthew, Lord's really dealing with me on this, and I share this with the, the church. And the 19th verse, to me, the, the expository teaching don't deal with this verse, uh, these two verses, and I, and I found out why, because it's actually by revelation that you really get this. But in that 19th verse of the 18th chapter of Matthew, the Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Listen to that, Greg. He says, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That's guaranteed. He says, it shall be done of them of my Father. And I said, well, Lord, what's the problem? He says, my problem is my children don't have anybody to agree with them. And some fast-fingered Freddie got up in the pulpit and said, you touch and agree. He never said touch and agree. So the devil has transformed himself into a minister of light, got behind the pulpit and said, touch and agree. And everybody they even made a song, touch and agree. You don't touch and agree. The Lord Jesus said, and this is why it doesn't work. He says, you find somebody to agree with you first. And then you touch whatever it is that you've agreed upon. So you agree first, but coming into agreement, even with people in the church, that's why people are in the car by themselves, because they can't get anybody to agree. That's why marriages are failing at the same rate as marriages are failing out in the world, because the husband and wife can't agree. They don't agree. If they agreed, the Bible says one could put a a thousand demons Mm -hmm. to flight, two could put 10,000. The marriage uh, uh, party, the the marriage people, that husband and wife, they should have 10,000 thousand times the power that they would have being single. You see what I'm saying? But they can't agree. Why? Because the enemy keeps a feud, keeps a fight going on to keep them from agreeing because when they agree, the two of them as touching whatever the problem, finances, children, whatever it is, Jesus, our Lord, says the Father will honor that agreement and make it happen. That's pretty much the translation. So my point is saying is how many people that are Christians that are listening right now have somebody in your car right now that you can agree with that's a Christian like you that's driving in the same area you're driving in that need to go rather in the same area, but they're not in your car, and you've been there by yourself, okay? And there could be somebody in there with you. You could be in the diamond lane, okay, instead of bumper to bumper where you are because you can't find anybody to agree with you. And you're talking about the church coming together. That's right. And and when you were talking a moment ago, I wrote down a word you said. You used the word infiltrate. Yes, infiltrate. Right. We talked earlier about the book of Acts. Yes. And, of course, in the upper room, Christ talked about going to heaven. He was going to prepare a place, but not to worry because he would send the comforter. And once the comforter, Come on. <laughs> the Holy Spirit Woo. had infilled or infiltrated each one of the apostles, that they would then be empowered to go out into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could sit down. We've watched this. Look at what's going on in Hollywood right now with all these sex scandals. The turmoil in Washington, D.C. We could look at any aspect of American life or society, the arts, education, entertainment, on and on the list goes and say, my goodness, what's happening out there? It is rotting. It is stinking. There is such a terrible stench. And the one thing that is lacking that could change all of this is the church infiltrating all of these areas. It's one thing to say, put up the house, hang a shingle outside, compel them to come in. We don't do a very good job at compelling. No. And even if we do try to work at compelling by putting on some good sermons and having a great choir and all that, we're failing ultimately to affect and impact the culture and society around us because we have failed to go out and in the name of Christ, on behalf of the gospel, to infiltrate all of these areas of life. That takes us back full circle. I know when you came in this room, I thought he does not look like a man who wants to be in the real estate business. But he does look like a man who wants to infiltrate society and culture 
with the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you look at all of the Christians that work and the jobs that they work on everywhere. I mean, all of them, for the most part. The Bible even says if you don't work, you can't eat. So Christians have jobs. They're always in the marketplace. My point in saying it is, but how many of them are really blessing the people that they work with, blessing the boss, blessing the company. If the company's blessed, then they're going to do better. They're going to make more money. They'll be able to give you a raise, okay? But when you start blessing the people, which we don't do, instead of cursing them, we begin to bless them. We begin to fellowship with them, okay, instead of acting like they have the plague. And then we begin to pray for their needs. There's not a person now anywhere who don't have a host of needs that they would love to have met. And when you tell them that our God answers prayer and we love to pray for your needs because our God is able to supply your every need, can I pray for you? How many people do you think would turn you down? How many neighborhoods, not just in Oakland, it's East San Jose, it's everywhere. Systemic that are infiltrated right now by prostitution and drug addicts and all of this vice going on. And imagine if in a given apartment building that has a reputation for vice and all that comes under that heading, if that apartment building had a praying Christian in the building that would be willing to say, I am going to take back this building for Christ. I am going to infiltrate through the power of the Holy Spirit this building. I'm going to go to each door and each neighbor and knock on the door and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I live at apartment number XYZ down the hall, and I just dropped by to say I baked you some bread just to be a blessing. And oh, by the way, while I'm here, can I pray for you about something? Yes. Come on. Can you imagine the slow change that would begin to happen if you could take over every crack house, every drug den, every location where there's prostitution going on, any of those bad, seedy neighborhoods, and how they could be dramatically changed if they were infiltrated with the life-changing power of the Jesus Christ by doing just what you've talked about. Well, what you said is so scriptural because that's that to me is the intent of the Lord Jesus saying, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you look up the word ecclesia, it doesn't have anything to do with what you see with church today. It has everything to do with going out. What? Listen, if the Lord Jesus had had the same paradigm that pastors have today with churches, he would have tried to find the biggest building that he could have found, had all the 5,000 men that he fed, plus women and children, plus all of the 4,000 plus women and children. He would have all of these thousands of people trying to stuff them into a building. He didn't have building a building that to operate in. He was out in the open air. He was, Why? Because there wasn't a place to contain all of the people that came to hear him speak. And I'm believing God today that when the church, instead of working in those silos you talked about a while ago, I call them silos. This guy's over here. He's doing this. This guy's over there. And we act like we're disconnected, but we're all going to get together when we get to heaven. The women did something the other week, Greg. It was thousands and thousands and thousands of women that came out into the streets just the other Saturday I mean, by the thousands, I would even say millions across the entire country standing up for women's rights, coming against the the women that have been sexually mistreated by men and whatnot and standing up. And I said, oh, my God, in Oakland alone, we had 40 to 50,000 women in front of City Hall in Oakland standing up for women's rights and for how women are being treated in the city. And I said, Lord, Jesus Is it possible for the church to come together like these women and stand up and declare Jesus Christ is Lord over our cities? And you know what I'm saying? And begin to praise God in the open air. Couldn't we do something like that to let people know that the Lord Jesus is alive and well instead of hiding in these silos we call churches? Hiding like we're afraid. And I've never seen so many Christians afraid of the people. My daughter, my older daughter, lives in Austin, Texas, and she calls me up periodically. She says, Daddy, aren't you afraid of those people in Oakland? They're shooting, they're murdering. You got these people. I said, Honey, 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 those people are my people. I said, I love those people. I'm not afraid of them because that used to be me. 
It was me out on the corner. It was me doing those things. I'm not afraid of them, but I don't care how they talk about millennials and all this, and you got to do all this weird stuff, crazy stuff to get millennials. You don't need to do that. It's one thing people cannot resist, Craig, and that is the love of God. And they can't resist you loving them and blessing them, I guarantee you. God-shaped vacuum that I believe is in the heart of every one of us. I do, too. That are outside of a relationship with Christ. Yes, sir. You know, and Scripture tells us, neither male nor female nor Jew nor Gentile, it's not about, you know, fancy programs is going to reach this millennial and the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, and, you know, everybody's got a different thought and, and, and approach and program, and one needs a big, powerful sound system. Somebody else does it all through social media. Yeah, yes, in some ways, some of those tools can be helpful, but at the end of the day, come on, it's the same condition that has troubled mankind since the Garden of Eden, and if we cannot communicate the love of Jesus Christ and the wonderful message that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die on a cross on our behalf because God so fervently wants to walk in relationship with his creation and to come in and fill that vacuum, that God-shaped vacuum with his son, with his Holy Spirit, with his presence, and then walk in fellowship and, and in, in a reconciled relationship. That's the key right there. doesn't matter what the age group is. doesn't matter what language you speak, whether you're male or female, whether you were born in the United States or came here from somewhere else. doesn't matter whatsoever. And the thought that, that, that crosses my mind, Bishop Jackson, I'm wondering if part of the problem has been that we as the church have got so caught up on organization and structure, 501c3s, planning meetings, the board, and the program, and the big thermometer with the red going up as we're raising money for the new building, whatever, that we've forgotten that at the end of the day, going back to that rock that you spoke of so eloquently a moment ago, it's not God using the church and organization. It's God using his church an organism. Ah, that's a good. That's a good clarity right there. That's really good and clear because there's two parts to the church, and I say this all the time to my staff. There's the organization, the 501c3 that we have to conduct as a business, and then there's the organism, which is the body of Christ. And I thank God we have two separate buildings. The one building is where the organism meets. That's where we praise God and worship God and all of that with the Word of God. But then the other building is where we do the the structuring, the the hierarchies, the the bill, pay the bills, and all that kind of stuff. So we've separated the organism from the organization, and that's what should happen. And that organism should be busy being about our father's business. So this is what we've done. We've changed the paradigm at Axel Gospel, and we changed it to prayer evangelism. And this is what we do: we went out and we put door hangers on the doors. And we blessed every door, every family that was behind that door. We never knocked on it. We just prayed for the families behind that door that God would bless that family, that God would touch that man, that woman, and just bless. We pronounced blessings on, we passed out 4,000 door hangers in District 6 and another four, 5,000 in District 7. And then we had the fellowship with them and because each door hanger had a coupon for a turkey for Thanksgiving, and then we gave out 2,000 chickens for Martin Luther King Day on the 15th, the holiday. We took advantage of it. And I'm telling you something. People came to the to the fellowship that we had. We won 200 souls in that Martin Luther King when we had January 15th, but we fellowshiped with them first. So I saw what the Lord Jesus did and how he operated the ecclesia in the open air feeding 5,000 people, men plus women and children. Can you imagine how many people that was in that crowd that ate uh, some fish and some bread that day and all were filled? Can you imagine what that meant to them? He was fellowshipping with those people. Now, we have chicken dinners for ourselves in the church, and it's another way for the churches to make money. But what about fixing a chicken dinner for the community? What about going into the community where the people are not so... Uh, bountifully blessed and they, you know, just above the poverty line, if not right below it, and begin to do something to bless them. What do you think would happen with that community when they see that church doing that kind of 
thing for the community. That kind of infiltration, infiltration will absolutely change the face of that community no and that neighborhood. You, you shared a story with me. Can I ask you to stay for 10 more minutes? You can ask me to stay forever. Okay. I'll stay right here with you. I love Barbara being, might say, I wait love, a minute. Yeah, yeah Barbara he? will say. She's probably listening right now. She come on. I'm going to ask you to stay for another segment. You shared a story with me recently that I want you to share on air that is so demonstrative of what this going out, infiltrating, of being the church organ. We're good on the organization side of things. We we got that down pat. We can print brochures and put up fancy websites and comply with 501c3 IRS regulations, do all that stuff, have complications, meetings, everything else, got all that down pat. Americans are good at that. But the the organism side, the body side, the infiltrating arm of the church that goes out and compels and then brings them into the body of Christ. That part, we need some serious fine-tuning. And you shared a story with me recently that I'm going to ask you to share on the air when we come back after a, a time out here that I think so wonderfully demonstrates how that we need to set aside the cursing, stop the name-calling, and rather start blessing and start infiltrating. And this story is going to show in a small way just exactly not only what it looks like, but how incredibly effective it can be. Listen, you want to be a world changer? You don't have to sit up in some big highfalutin ivory tower. You don't have to be a multimillionaire. You don't have to have a a, a blessed ability to speak eloquently and impress people with the depth of your knowledge of Scripture. All those things can be useful. But at the end of the day, you just need to love Jesus and go out and love people for Jesus. And as you do so, you infiltrate the culture to love people to Jesus. We're going to show you how that works right after a quick timeout. Six o'clock from KFAX San Francisco. Way late here, so let's get caught up on traffic. We've got the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 